Welcome to the 232nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Elizabeth McCourt, author of the novel Sin and the Big Easy. Stay tuned for the interview. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Elizabeth McCourt, author of the new mystery novel, Sin and the Big Easy. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Well, can you read the first couple of pages of your novel, Sin and the Big Easy? Absolutely. Just I'll, I'll try and, or you just let me know when you want me to stop. We'll try and stop at a good spot. Okay. Chapter One, New Orleans, Louisiana. As soon as I stepped out of my apartment on St. Mary Street, I felt the air stick, stick to my skin. I pulled my hair back into a ponytail, adjusted my hat's visor, and headed up to the streetcar tracks about a block away. I jogged on the tracks, ready for an oncoming car, relishing the warm breeze as another streetcar rumbled by in the opposite direction, clanging its bell as it passed. The grass in the middle of the track was worn down but hard-packed which was better than running on the uneven pavement, damaged by the last few storms, and dodging people and cars. St. Charles Avenue was waking up with walk, people walking dogs, parents driving kids around, and others headed home from the bars or going to work. For the first time in weeks, I didn't have to be in court until nine, so I had time to run all the way up to Audubon Park. Since law school, the park was my favorite place to run, not only for its evenly packed track, but for the beauty of every section and the shaded areas on sunny days. I passed a statue in front of the Loyola campus that everyone calls Touchdown Jesus, which always makes me think of my parents. Crossing the street heading into the park, I looked at my watch and started around the track. I felt droplets of sweat under my chest dripping down onto my stomach. I wiped my brow with my hand and adjusted my visor. As I turned a bend in the track, I passed a few people but not anyone I recognize. I accelerated to the shade of one of the massive live oak trees, its moss-laden branches cresting over the track, then slowed and timed myself for 30 seconds before accelerating again. My old criminal law professor, who did a lot of 5K races and often saw me in the park, had told me I needed to speed up a little bit if I ever wanted to get faster. He was the one who encouraged me to intern at the DA's office during law school. I don't think even he could have predicted that I would have turned it into my default career. I'd applied to some of the big firms and gotten a few interviews, but mostly I received polite rejection letters. I repeated my 30 seconds of speeding up and 30 seconds of rest method, sprinting around the park's track. I was panting hard when I rounded the bend, coming back to where I'd started. I veered off the track, my street sneakers crunching on the gravel, and I slowed to a walk, headed towards the playground area to hit the drinking fountain over by the swings. The swings were moving from the tiniest breeze, but otherwise all was quiet. The water from in the fountain was warm, and I let it cascade over the side of the bowl for a minute. I tested it with my hand, then leaned down and slurped some of the metallic-tasting, still warm water. I closed my eyes and let the water splash into my face, shaking it off like a dog and wiping my eyes with my shirt. Over here, please help me. A woman's voice yelped through the sobs. I spun around and saw a woman lying on the dirt at the base of a big oak tree. I hadn't noticed her before. Please, over here, the woman's words slurred. 
Are you okay? Shit, what happened? I jogged over and knelt beside her. She looked like she was about 20, with her long curly hair half out of her ponytail, her face smudged with dirt. She was wearing a short skirt and a shimmering golden black top. Clearly, she'd been out the night before and never gone home. She tried to hide a pair of bloody underwear clutched in her left hand. As I moved closer, I saw a bump on her forehead that had broken the skin. Don't move. I'll go get you some help. Please don't leave me, she said as her voice cracked. She shuddered, then grabbed the tree and tried to get up, but her knees buckled and she stepped back down. You're okay now. Do you have a pur- your purse, your phone? I decided to go without anything except my house key and my watch this morning. I must have dropped it when I was running from him, and then I tripped and I must have passed out. I found these lying over there, she said, pointing towards the back of the playground area and then looking down at the underwear. She started to sob, and when she put her hand up to her forehead, she winced. Should I take another look over there for your purse, I asked as I tried to console her. You can check if you want to, she said, letting her tears fall down her cheeks. I ran over to where she had pointed and scanned the ground, but not wanting to leave her alone, I ran back. I crouched down to her and held out my hand and said, Do you think maybe you dropped it somewhere else? Let me walk you to the fountain and get some water. Then I'll get help. She looked at her bloody underwear again and started to cry. I grabbed her hand and squeezed. Come on, let's get you up and out of here. You want me to continue? Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. Well, well, if, if someone listening hasn't heard about Sin and the Big Easy yet, how would you describe your novel? I would describe it as, um, I guess I'll use what my pre-launch pre-readers have said. It's a fun, fast-paced uh, mystery novel. It's, I like to say, booze, lies, and family drama. And uh, what people say they love about it is not only is it a, you know, a novel of girls turning up dead in Audubon in Louis Armstrong Park. But what they love about it is the main character, Abby, is refreshingly fall, flawed. Um, they say she doesn't have superpowers, which which kind of makes you root for her. Um, she just struggles with the same stuff that everybody else does. And so as she navigates what's happening, um, as she meets this girl and has takes this girl's case to court... Um, she's got to navigate a whole strew of problems and also figure out her own stuff. Well, do you remember the original idea that led you to writing Sin and the Big Easy? You know, it's funny. I I have to call it a labor of love because I like to say, I call it a how to write a novel in 15 years or less. Don't do what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Because um, what it started out as is not what it is now. Um, I think it took me a long while to find my voice. I had seeds of a story and seeds of what I thought it might be. And I I had an epiphany when I came into this character, Abby, and just started having fun with her and seeing what she would do in the case. And then once I, once I remembered to start having fun and just use this as a pure um, page turner inspired by on one of my favorite novels, which is the, the Stieg Larsson thrillers. So it's um, that, that characters need to be um, nuanced. And um, I don't want people to figure out, uh, I want someone to figure out what happened in the third chapter. That would annoy me. So I try to really respect my readers and, and write something that would be really fun and engaging for them. Great. Well, when someone writes a first person novel, the question is inevitable. How much of your character, Abby Callahan, is a reflection of yourself? 
Oh, I know. Everyone always asks me. Um, someone actually said to me, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, I, and they were like, well, the story. And I said, the story's not true. It's fiction. And I will tell you, um, I, I like to say that in order to write true characters, every character, good and bad, has to have a piece of me. So I try and really feel what they're feeling. Um, but Abby's story is not mine. I mean, do I like to run? Yes. And I did go to law school in New Orleans, but I never practiced there. Um, and so, but there are, you know, I think there are different things that I've observed or maybe have happened to me. And uh, in fiction, you get to play with little things and take them to, um, take them to fiction, take them to make them a little more exciting, make them a little more engaging. So, um, I always, there's, there's pieces of truth and observation, but ultimately I, I spun it in a way that it would be a lot more interesting, of course. <laughs> you, you've worked in business and leadership training. Have you always wanted to write fiction during that time? I always wanted to write. I, I, it's always been my dream to write a book. And it's funny, uh, a, maybe a month ago, I found a notebook from third grade and I was writing in I've always been writing in chapters. In third grade, I wrote the book, Three Chapters, A Cat Named Katie. But <laughs> um, I, I think this has just been a long-time passion of mine. And to go with the business stuff, I'm a firm believer that whatever it is that you love to do, um, if it's knitting, writing, running, you know, I also do triathlon, like to flex your creative mind actually helps your, your business mind because you've given your sort of like given that your brain some additional jumping jacks and something different to, I always call it creative problem solving by doing something creative. Sure. So what was your writing process like for sin and the big easy? Did you write an extensive outline or was it more organic? I'm, I'm always resistant. I think I want to write an outline, but it, maybe it feels like going to school and it's torturous to me. So I ended up writing, I'm a binge writer. So I can tell you that this obviously took a really long time and I edited and edited and edited it, but I write, I always felt like each chapter needed to have a point, but continue to the next, the next chapter, of course. So I wanted to make each chapter sort of like end with an exclamation point, making the reader want to turn the next page for the chapter. So that's sort of my process. So I did have a general idea what was going to happen, but I also let my main character surprise me. That's great. Well, what are you working on now? So now I'm working on a couple of things. Um, I'm working on a nonfiction book, which is, believe it or not, how I got this novel sold is <laughs> I had a nonfiction proposal for the, um, a book I'm working about nonlinear path to leadership. And I casually mentioned I had a novel and that got picked up because it was complete. So I'm working on that. And then I'm also in, I also started working on Abby's next adventure because uh, I just thought it would be fun to see where she goes next and what happens next. So I've started, I've started working on that, but I have been involved actually in the, the marketing of Sin in the Big Easy. So that's taking a little bit of the back burner. Sure. So what advice would you have for aspiring writers who may be listening? I think it, to just keep on putting stuff out there, like don't feel like, like 
if I didn't get a novel published and I failed, you can, there are so many different avenues to publish your work. And the more you write and the more you publish, the more confidence you get and the better you get. So find an out, an outlet to publish your work, even if it's your own blog and just start small. It doesn't have to be a 3000 word piece. It could be 300 words and play with that. That's great. Well, what books or authors have you read recently that you would recommend that you enjoyed? Uh, one book I really love for the creative process is Liz Gilbert's um, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. I, I've read that book twice so far, and I'm sort of considering reading it again. I think when you're trying to write and you're trying to be creative, you get that monster on your shoulder of telling you you're not you're not good enough or it's not smart enough. And that book it, I found was really a liberating. And so I, I do recommend for um, to read that particular book. And then um, I've also read, uh, I've been reading a lot of business books recently and sort of end up devouring business books. So um, I'm reading a book about emotional agility by Susan David, which it's interesting because it goes along with the work that I do, but I, I feel like that you have to give your characters real emotions. So I think sometimes nonfiction can be very helpful uh, when you're, when you're writing, because it's just, it's just different, read a different genre um, and then, you know, and then utilize that in your writing. And then I don't know. I, I do read some poetry when I, when I'm feeling stuck in my writing, I, I try and read a little bit of poetry and that, that punchiness and that play with words with poetry does really help my work. So I don't have a book of poetry I read, but I'll just try and grab a poem um, and read that. Sure. So, so this was your first novel. Um, uh, what, what was the writing and editing process like for you? Did you, did you find it a challenge writing fiction did you do a lot of editing? What was that? What did that look like for you? Well, I um, I finished the original book in mm -hmm. 2011 as part of my MFA, right? And I have been editing that book ever since, and I've had editing it myself and having a variety of keen eyes on it, and then. I would edit it and then my publisher edited it and then I edited it and I gave it to somebody else and they edited it and then someone else edited it again. I don't know if the process is ever done. I think one of the tricks I do with editing, um, I, I, um, in order to write, I give myself permission to write crap mm -hmm. and promise myself I can fix it later. And I actually edit with a different colored pen, either purple Sometimes if I'm feeling that I need to be really harsh on myself, I edit with a red pen and pretend to be the meanest teacher I know. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I edit that way. And I, I just find, silly enough, I, when I write, I print it out on hard copy and then I edit with that red pen like I'm a mean teacher. But it's, it's really in my best interest to make something better. So I, I'm a firm believer in editing is almost never done, but sometimes it obviously has to be done. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Elizabeth McCourt, author of the new mystery novel, Sin and the Big Easy. So go grab a copy of the novel. It's out now. And Elizabeth, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, Jeff, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.